Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. We are uh, going to be talking, I've entitled this one, uh, Islands of Stability, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of the things that are currently we are dealing with in this world. Um, the challenges of the world that it brings to us, I don't know about you, but it's, it's really a chaotic time. And chaos is uh, kind of building and it's all around us, and that's nothing new though. Chaos has always been a part of a kingdom of darkness. That's what it is. It's chaos. I mean, just the darkness, the idea of darkness is that, you know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've kicked some pretty, you know, things pretty hard in the night in the darkness trying to find the washroom. So, you know, darkness is chaotic and it, it tends to feed off of itself. You and I live in a time when that chaos is there. So I want to talk to you about being an island of stability. Islands of stability is a phrase that actually comes from the sciences. It's not a new phrase. It comes from the science of chemistry. It has to do with the periodic table. Um, what, it's, what it uh, speaks about is they, they know that there is these, what they call islands of stability or super heavy elements that they have yet to really discover. They know that they exist but because they actually um, really deteriorate really fast, they're not able to really discover what they need to with them. And out of those elements, the exciting thing about that is, is as they are able to further the science in the future, uh, they can create new elements. You add basic heavy elements and you can create new elements that don't exist at this time. It, it's a fascinating thing. But they call those elements islands of stability. It, it's, it's a phrase that I really love because I, I really believe it describes the Christian and I believe it describes uh, the church of Christ, the kingdom of God. In the world, or the world, the world's natural order is tribalism. Tribalism is something where uh, everything breaks down to these definable pockets, uh, it's not just about race. It could be anything. We're tribal about anything and everything. I mean, we're tribal about the Winnipeg Jets and Montreal Canadiens, you know. So tribalism is a part of, of existence. The problem is, is when tribalism defines you, it becomes your identity. When you are identified with that tribalness, and that's what you maximize for, this is who I am. And that's what the world does. Uh, one of the current big tribes that has emerged in our day and age is the tribe of victims. So in our society, uh, we can be victims very easily. And uh, in fact, it's a big tribe that's growing. Uh, We are all basically victims of things and that's how we define ourselves. Definition of self is really, really important. And Brent already quoted a great scripture just before uh, we did the video clip. And that when we come to Christ, we are brand new creatures in Christ, brand new creation in Jesus Christ. The only place that you actually get a new identity is not, the world doesn't have it. It can't provide it. It tries. It tries to make the name Canadian special amongst all of the nations that somehow because of our tolerance and inclusivity, we are somehow really special and that we have something nobody else has. These are things that fall apart really rapidly. And when you dig down into the layers, tribalism is just as strong. And intimidation and the tools used to try to create that are very devastating. When guilt and shame are used to try to create the good things, it taints them. And so like you and I live in a world where tribalism rules. Now tribalism can be economic, it can be gender, it can be any one of those things. It's the natural order of this world. In God's kingdom, this all simply disappears. Just, I mean, it goes away. We saw that in the scriptures that we had with the video clip. That was a scripture they quoted at the end there. It was found in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. And I'm going to read it for you in just a moment. But that scripture illustrates for us how all of these other defining tribal factors are dismissed 
when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ's kingdom, this eternal kingdom of Christ, you have a new definition of you. There's only a couple of things that are passed on from generation to generation that are of God. Uh, Really two things. The first is the family. The family is that which God has passed on from generation to generation. It's so important that he even made the roles, anchor roles in all societies, father and mother. And he made it even biologically that way so that the seed had to come together with the egg and that now you have uh, the beginning of a new being. And so he did that right in the Garden of Eden. He creates Eden and he creates Adam and Eve and he creates them as man and woman and they come together as husband and wife and they form a family unit. And from them comes kids. Now, just to note how quickly things break down in a world of sin is that even the founding family had tribalism. One brother against another. This is goes way back. Tribalism is nothing new. It's always been. It always will be. We look for the distinguishing marks to see where we belong. And if you don't belong in our, in our camp, well, then you don't have the same value. But the value that God places upon us is because his, he has purposed us. He has literally purposed your life. You are no accident. And so in that purposing of your life, God has uh, made it so that you can be a part of his eternal kingdom but you needed rescuing. And that's what Jesus Christ was about. So just the roles of a father and mother and family passed down. These things have been under assault from the beginning. The enemy attacks these things. Darkness does not welcome the family unit as defined by God's creative order. And so it has been constantly under attack. It's not new in this generation. It's not new in the sitcoms of this generation. It's not new in the comedy of this generation. It's not new in the commentary of this generation. It has always been. There has always been the challenge to this. Why? Because it's through the family that God is putting in an island of stability in the natural order where you are formed and to be nurtured, to be loved, to be protected, to be celebrated, to be trained, to be disciplined. That is God's natural order. Today you will find the family has been not just under assault, but there are replacements offered. The replacement of government oversight today. That they actually can literally oversight the family better than parents. And parents' role needs to be reinforced. I told you I'm going to talk about our age a little bit. But it's not our age, it's all ages. God has formed the family to be an island of stability. The other thing he's formed to be an island of stability is also a family, but it's an eternal family. It's his church. The church is the other thing that is passed on from generation to generation. Now, what is the church? The church, it's called in the Greek, is the ecclesia. It means the people of God. It is those that are, have received Christ. It's those that Christ's spirit is in their hearts. The Holy Spirit literally resides in them. And so that makes you part of his church. And that church is expressed in the local structures that God sets up in, throughout the entire globe. And it's that church that you need to have the island of stability of the family, which is a temporal family, matched with the eternal family. And that is how you retain stability and build stability in both. The family needs the church big time. And the church needs the family. And those things create an island of stability. But the darkness is against both of these things. Not just the church is attacked, the home is attacked. Both of those things in God's created order. One eternal, one temporal. You see, in God's kingdom though, all of these kinds of things that are tribal about us disappear. The Bible says you are all sons in Galatians 3.26. Let me read this for you. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's that eternal family. 
You are a son of God. And by the way, this is a non, uh, can we say, a gender term. It means that you all belong. You are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's a really important message to us. That is the fundamental of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is the one thing that has changed the most for the Christian. They have been transferred from the the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You are now light in the middle of a rebel kingdom. You are actually servants of God in the midst of those that hate God. A darkness that permeates this world that hates God. And because it hates God, it hates you. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He's talking about an identity here. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Those are tribal things. Slave nor free. There's another tribal thing. Male or, 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 nor female. That's another tribal thing. Then he says this, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says there's only one thing that does away with tribalism and it's nothing that man can produce on his own. Man can have the ideal where we will all get along. They can sing songs about it. They can write songs about all we need is love. They can do all of that, but in their practice, they can never take it to the nines because it takes the energy and it takes the power of God himself to create that because he has to make a new creation in each one of you through Christ. And then you need to adjust your life to this new creation. God calls us to that. And so he says, all of these things are gone. These distinguishing tribal markers. And then he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Meaning, you by faith are a part of the eternal promise. Uh, You are a part of God's faith family. And you are heirs according to the promise. This is really an important piece of scripture written by the apostle in a world that was almost more tribal than ours today. It's hard to imagine a world that could have been more tribal than what we see today. But most of the chaos that you see today is absolutely tribal. This is where we see it growing. And it's returned to the world in a full-on, can we say, tidal wave that's hitting. But in Paul's day, my gosh, tribalism was huge. Slavery, for instance, was, a, was just a welcomed, recognized, can we say, structure of society. It was tribal. You're of this class, you're not of this class. It was economic tribalism. It was Roman versus the world tribalism. It was, it was always breaking down into who you were, what you did, all of these types of tribal connotations. And he's speaking to them. And he's saying, now that you're a Christian, I want you to know those things do not define you. What defines you, what gives you your new identity is that you are a Christian. You belong to Jesus Christ. And that's why in the kingdom of God, tribalism is something that the Holy Spirit would love to eradicate but we tend to not pay attention to it ourselves at times and how important it is for us to have hearts that are so, can we say, led by God by grace that we equate all people with the same value. We don't look at people who are far off in a lifestyle that's so destructive and awful and classify them as untouchable. You see, Jesus dealt with that in the Pharisees, didn't he? We don't have these defining markers. That is what he is seeking by the Spirit of God in us to reproduce in his church because that's what his family actually looks like. Now, if you want to know what are the main characteristics of being a Christian in this one big eternal family without tribalism to define you, here's the only defining markers that we know that Jesus Christ really put forward for us. And I'm going to read them in Philippians 2 verse 1. He said, if you have any of these, and these are characteristics, if you have any of these kingdom of God characteristics in you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
He's saying if you have any of these kingdom of God, you know, virtues uh, within your life, he's saying, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This is the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ across the globe. It is the one place where tribalism is not welcome by any, any marker, by any definition. It is the place where we are all of equal value no matter what we are from, where we have our other definitions. We don't define ourselves through tribalism, which is the latter approach to value. Rather, we define ourselves that God loved us and gave us the grace needed so that you and I could celebrate each other and God in this equality of grace. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Do you know that would kill Every tribal, uh, could we say, uh, any type type of, uh, of tribal thinking within the whole world, if just that one phrase was practiced, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That would kill every tribal thing. And it would bring us together in the spirit that only humility can do by the power of Christ. He's saying, you want to follow me? You want to live like Jesus? You want to be a servant of Jesus? You really want to live the kingdom life? You want to really express the kingdom of God in your home and in your community, in your places of work, in your life, in your ministry? Then here's what you need to do. He says, you need to, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That's the starting point. You need to do that because that's what Jesus actually did in serving us. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Oh my gosh, how could we be tribal in the present of looking to other people's interests more than even to our own? What an incredible kingdom that would be to live in. Imagine a kingdom with a king where it wasn't just an authoritative thing trying to pressure you to be something, but out of the heart of each man, woman, and child, uh, there came this, this power of unity that was based upon us celebrating the common grace that has come to each one of us. And we ascribe value to the soul. We ascribe value without tribal markers. Imagine what that creates, what kind of kingdom that would be. That is the kingdom that you are in. That is the kingdom he wants you to live in. That is the kingdom he wants you to represent. That is the kingdom that we are bringing to the world. That's why we are salt. That's why we are light. We don't say in the kingdom of God that I will circulate in this part of the kingdom of God, but I don't want to go to that part of the kingdom of God. That's, I don't agree with them on this. Uh, They're not of the same persuasion as me on this. They are somebody that thinks differently than me on this. They are somebody that's not as mature as me on this. There is somebody over here that some of their practices just annoy me. I don't like the personality grouping. I can only hang out with this kind of personality grouping. You're being tribal in a kingdom that says no tribalness allowed. This is a beautiful kingdom you and I have been given. We are to follow our servant Lord in this kind of kind of humility to consider others better than ourselves and not just to look to our own interests but to the interests of others. Now I want to use a story to illustrate this. And I'm going to go to the story that I used last week but reflect obviously from a different slice today. I want to talk to you using the story of Jonah because in this we find a really fascinating and great picture of the tension of this in this man. 
Jonah, as I said last week, had some very serious issues. They were basically boiled down to tribalness. He was somebody who was a prophet of God. He was somebody who God would give a word to and they would speak that word. And that word was treated as God directly speaking to the people. And yet in this, in his own mind and heart, it wasn't the kingdom of God that he was serving first. I will illustrate to you this. He illustrates it. So the word of the Lord, it says in Jonah 1, 1, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the great city of Nineveh was a Gentile city. It was a city of actually great violence, both within it, but also it was really hard on neighbors. It was a warrior-like culture. The Assyrian culture um, didn't have a lot of grace built within it. It was tough. And uh, he didn't really want to go to that place. It, was, it was, had also not great practices of lifestyle. And here he, he looks at it and he doesn't want to go there. And so instead, the next verse is, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, he's a prophet of God. He knows that God is absolutely uh, omnipresent. He is everywhere. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And he understands this about God. And so he knows that he can't run from God in himself, but he's running from the assignment that God gave him. He's running from the call of God upon him as a person who is from the kingdom of God. He's running from the role of being in the kingdom of God. And he heads to Tarshish, as far away as possible from where Nineveh is. Opposite direction, it's on the Spanish coast. So he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. You know what? Some of the greatest blessings in your life have come not as what you would consider blessings. But some of the great storms that you've gone through may have been the storms that God has sent your way because they were needed to make you something that God himself would be able to be reflected in your life. He needed to maybe bring that storm your way and it was a gracing of God that you got that storm because he was stopping you from going and wasting your life. He was stopping you from going down a wrong path that would bring destruction to you and others. He was stopping you from some things that would have grown and and destroyed you from the inside out. That is where he brought the deepest challenge. Sometimes the storms that God sends are the greatest gracing that he brings to us. And so God, it said, sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. You know, when sailors get afraid, you know it's a big storm. And each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I find that this is true for us as human beings. We are willing to hang on to the cargo in fair sailing weather, but we'll dump the cargo in the storm because our lives matter more to us than the cargo, but we don't figure it out until we actually get in the storm and we figure out that our life and the lives of those that are in that boat with us matter more than the cargo that we we are hauling and yet we give our life to the cargo without recognizing that that it is nowhere near as important. I find priorities change when we go through storms and God uses storms to challenge our priorities and we have to dump some things. So they lighten the ship but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Can you believe this guy? The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Christian, good question for us. We are in the kingdom of God. We are the light and salt of that kingdom in this planet of darkness. We are God as representatives. We are ones that have the name of Jesus not just in our hearts, but upon every action and every thought and every plan and every purpose. How can you sleep? Church, how can you sleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? What are they asking him? All tribal questions. Every one of these questions is a tribal question. What do you do? You do the same thing. And the moment that you get that from others, you have files. You've got tribal files. Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? The world continues to ask the very same questions. And that is why they've never settled that in Christ. That it doesn't matter in any of those matters to the identity of Christ that he gives you. He answered, I am a Hebrew. Now, what was his first answer? I am a child of God. I am a, I am, I am a prophet of God. I serve God. I'm a servant of God. Was that his answer first? No. First thing out of his lips was tribal. I am a Hebrew. When that's first, when that's the defining factor, that is when we find the division, that's when we find the, the, the waste of life where we are pursuing things from a tribal basis because the tribal basis will often be much more friendly to your ego and to you building yourself in those ways. Taking you up a ladder. Many times when people feel like they're low, they like to identify with the winner. We just saw that with Brent. He went from the Jets to the Canadians in one week. Because it takes us up the ladder. It's a tribal questions they were asking him. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He had it backwards. That's what should have been first, and then Hebrew. When we get that turned around, all the math changes. No matter how you measure that out. There's a thousand tribal, there's a ten thousand, there's a hundred thousand, there's a million tribal ways to define yourself first. But in the kingdom of God, there's only one thing that defines us. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful truth. The story goes on. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? That's a really, this is such human nature. What do we got to do to make the sea comfortable again? Within our abilities to navigate. The storm, something that we've been through before, we know what to do. How do we make it manageable? What, do we, what should we do to, to, you, to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Just another point on calm down for us. You know, this idea. When you, in our society, we're even making determinations about comfort, calming down seas for us. And we are now making decisions about who lives and who dies because it's uncomfortable. We design whole things to remove the discomfort of the realities. All kinds of practices. This kind of pursuit is because of tribal and it's because of comfort. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Man cannot change God's purpose. God's purpose was Jonah 
I care about 120,000 people and all the animals in Nineveh. So I am going to do what I need to, servant. To get to them to help. They tried, they couldn't. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. So they got smart. You're doing what you want. We can't stop you. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. We see two things in this first chapter that God provided. The first was a storm, a great wind, Violent storm, it arrives, God sends it. Never ever treat the storms that come your way as things that somehow are outside God's purpose or design. Whatever God is going to actually take you through in life and you're going to experience some awful storms, you're going to bring a lot of them on yourself. Other people can bring them on you, but there's going to be storms that God just says they're coming. Because this is how we're going to rearrange some priorities. This is how I'm going to do a greater work in you and then maybe through you. This is how I am going to reposition your life. This is how the kingdom of God is going to take charge in your life. And he'll send storms. Never believe that anything that comes your way is somehow beyond the purpose and plan of God. That can be hard, but it can be comforting. And it can raise questions, but I'd rather those questions and the idea of some meaningless thing that keeps coming my way. I have meaning in everything. God produces his way. The second thing the Lord provided in the first chapter of this is the Lord provided a great fish. Now this looks like a unique creation, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, this, this was not a comfortable place for Jonah. But without that great fish, without that, that, that preserving grace that he was given in that moment, that provision of that great fish, he would have died. And instead, God keeps him alive, yes, at the most minimum level possible, going down to the bottom of the sea in the, in the belly of a great fish. And he spends three days and three nights, by the way, in there, which was to illustrate Christ's own battle, going down into Hades for you and I and taking back the keys to hell and death. Jesus quoted Jonah as a source of what was about to happen and what the work he was about to do. And so Jonah ends up in the middle two chapters. I'll quickly give you what happens as we did a bit last week. Jonah comes to the place of saying, okay, I'm wrong on this and I'm, I'll go. I will go and do what you say because you're God. I'm gonna go do it. So he does. And then God gives him the message. And the message was 40 days and Nineveh's gonna be destroyed. And basically that was it. It was the most simple message preached, really. And then what happened was they immediately began to repent. All of the people. The king started it all off and then proclaimed it all through the kingdom. And even the animals had sackcloth put on them. So they went really deep into repentance. And in that repentance, God did not judge them. God held back his hand because that's why he was sending Jonah. Because he's so compassionate. He'll work so hard on our wills when we act tribal in a, in a plan of God that has no tribalness in it, but only compassion. But in chapter four, verse one, when God is relinquished from judging, here's Jonah's response. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. <laughs> but God did displease Jonah. God wasn't going to act tribal. If, if they repented, if they, he did, he, it doesn't matter to God what their tribalness was. All that mattered was whether they were going to turn to him 
whether they were going to receive the grace and that they were going to change and make God their God. Get prepared for eternity. That's all that mattered. And when he wouldn't act tribal, Jonah got displeased and anger. He actually is angry with God. He's angry with God because God has these characteristics. Oh, I would like you better if you were not a God of compassion. I would so like you better if you were a God that was my tribe's God. Goes on and it says, he prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. It's your fault, God. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. He's saying, I knew, I knew this. I know that, that you are this. You are gracious and you're compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. He knew this. He knew what his God was like. He knew that if these people turned to God, God would say, Yes. And he knew that God wanted him to share and preach that. But his whole heart was tribal. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's not willing to give his life for God, but he is willing to give his life for his distinctions of tribalness. And you wonder why we have the conflicts in history all through history? When our lives are reduced to being sacrificed in tribal ways. This is nothing other than the honoring of tribalness and a dishonoring of the created model of who God has made us to be. So God asks them a great question. Have you any right to be angry? I mean, Jonah, do you really have a right here to be angry? Like, do you want me to be a God that doesn't have these qualities? A God that is just your tribal God and serves your own interest. And if I'm going to be compassionate, it's only towards your tribe. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. Do you know why? He's going east of the city. He's going to look at the city and he's waiting for God to acquiesce to Jonah's anger and displeasure with him. And still act out judgment. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. You know, you can live your life trying to make God serve tribal interests. He'll never do it. He'll never do it. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. It's a hot place, this place. God provides a vine, it grows up. One night, shading his head. And he's thinking, ah, you're coming around in my way. I knew you listened to my reason. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided scorching east wind. You see what God's providing here? He provides him comfort, a vine. He provides a worm, destroys the vine. He provides a scorching east wind to amplify the discomfort. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. If I can't live tribal, I don't want to live. If Hebrew can't be first in front of everything else, I don't want to live. If I can't just be in my own comfort zone, I don't want to live. If my life is too uncomfortable serving you, I don't want to live. 
But Jonah said, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? His response is this, I do. He said, I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. They don't have the knowledge, right and wrong. They don't know that they are living in such an offensive way to me. They don't understand that there's a better way, that there's a God of compassion that they can turn to that will order their life in a good, productive, things that are good in their life that they don't understand. They don't know their right hand from their left. And then he says, and many cattle as well. God, the animals matter to God. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, an interesting thing is the book of Jonah does not give us the conclusion of Jonah's journey. We don't know what he decided. We do not know whether he adjusted to the kingdom of God or whether he continued and buried himself into the roots of, of uh, tribalness or whether he was finished and he got it done and he decided to take again the next ship over to Tarshish so he wouldn't be embarrassed going back over home that he had been a Hebrew prophet in a Gentile place. We don't know. What we know is he was tribal. And God leaves us with an open question. Do you have a right to be angry over who I really am? Nineveh, 120,000. People in a state of needing a message. Is that not where I should be concerned, Jonah? The only thing we end with is a bit of a revelation. He says, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. More or less, you enjoyed my comforts. You enjoyed what I do for you. You like those things. You didn't tend it, though. You didn't make it grow. It had nothing to do with you. You were born. I gave you life. I've given you opportunity. I have blessed you. Uh, I've done all of this for you. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and, as many, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? The revelation is really simple. What matters to God is people. He created this world for people. He created the universe because of his plan for people. He created people because of his plan for a people of faith and an Abrahamic covenant. Yes, a covenant of faith that says, I choose Christ. He created this family to be light in the midst of darkness. He keeps us here as rebels in this kingdom of darkness, that we are light and we are dismantling this, these, this, 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 uh, the authorities of this planet that, that wage war against us. But if what about if we get all caught up with all of the things that are going on around us? What if we become tribal because we choose you know, tribal news and we choose to follow this? and we choose to follow that and it becomes number one. No longer is the kingdom of God directing our path but rather we are caught up with the tribalness of this world and all that that is is just simply us ending up not focused on the main things that God is focused on. See, God's concern is always going to be people and the gospel. God's concern is that you live out the kingdom of God principles so that there's power in the gospel that is delivered through the family and the church into family units and through family units and into the church and through the church into the world. See, our concerns are always about things that make us comfortable. That's yours and my concerns, just in our own natural self. Am I going to get some time to myself? Am I going to do, am I, am I, am I, am I? God's concerns are about the things of highest value. There, it, it just, what, God, in God's economy, the value that he has put on the human soul far outstrips anything else that we would say has value. 
And our human souls are not tribal. They're eternal. We're going to take communion to finish the service off. Yours and my position by faith in Jesus Christ was purchased by these emblems. You have a new identity. Christ is in you, truly. You are in Christ. The spirit of God lives and abides within you. And he has no tribalness about him. He goes into any heart that welcomes him. He will go into the worst of sinners' heart. You can never out the grace of God. He will go into all kinds of hearts that find a position on their knees of humility to say, God, I am surrendering my life to you. I'm not looking for a role in your kingdom like to be the prophet. I want to have the heart of the kingdom. I don't want to have tribalness in me competing with this beautiful oneness that you can bring my heart and my life into, that I'm valuing people, even my enemies, that you said, Lord, I should love. Wow. But he didn't just say it, did he? He came and did it. He died for his enemies. You and I. Paul said, for we were once enemies of the cross of Jesus. He did it. And he says, This is my kingdom. This is my kingdom. So when we participate in communion today, I want us to do it with a heart of, of, of understanding that in your heart, you have to adjust to God, not take a Jonah position sitting east of the city, waiting for God to adjust himself to your tribal view. But rather you are coming to God and saying, God, build the big kingdom in me. I want to learn how to love like that. I want to build my home with that kind of heart at its center. I want my children, I want my marriage to be that where the interests of others are served before even my own. I want to have this very important part and aspect of my life of a heart that's clean from all of this silly kind of division that marks the world. I want to be salt and light in the middle of what I see in the chaos. I don't want to have a commentary on the chaos. I want to be opposite the chaos. I want to bring something that's completely different. And you and me gets the job done. But me and you is the practice of this new creation. Would you stand with me, please? The only thing that is a requirement for communion is this, that you have received Jesus Christ as your savior It has been through the cross where he literally took all sins of the world and took them upon himself. The full judgment and wrath of God was poured upon his son. And so what would have been reserved for you has been used up by being poured upon Jesus. And so Jesus becomes our savior because of his work for us. He gave his life so that we might live. And if you've never received Christ, you're exchanging a life that is really filled with death to a life filled with eternal life. Jesus said to a woman at a well one day, if you drink the water that I give you, you're never going to thirst again. It's going to be like a well in you springing up for eternal life. Jesus is the author of this life. And the kingdom life is the most difficult life to live. Because it 
causes you to die so that he might live. No longer are you the center of all service, but he is. You're not a Jonah where you can just name God and take him with you when you want. No, no. You name God and you walk with him in a surrendered, humble way. It's work. It's hard, but it is beautiful and it changes families and it changes marriages and it changes our community and it will change the world. It has over and over and over and over again. That's what you and I have. And it was purchased by this. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, I'll give you a little prayer that you can pray as we have prayer here you pray this in the quietness of your own heart the invitation is open fathers we bow our heads we are thankful for the work of Jesus father we need to be about our work for Jesus we're people oh God that have been called set apart Not to be a commentary on the modern age. Not to be disconnected from it, but to go to it. We, Lord, are your force here on this planet. Father, it has been under assault, the church and the home. But, Lord, there are islands of stability where Christian mom and dads put their roots down into the kingdom of God. They bond with your church, Lord, which is your eternal family. And they create, Lord, a family in a home of stableness in the midst of chaos. And Father, we as a church, we get to come together and demonstrate to the world what love is really about. In fact, you said that, we w- that they will know us by our love because it, it overcomes all the tribalness. And Father, we're thankful that we can adjust to you and move to you on these things. Lord, please, may the spurs that have come today prod us towards that. Now, if you've never received Jesus, here's a prayer that you can pray in the quietness of your heart. And then if you receive Christ today, you come and you take communion. We'll give you directions as we go through. You pray a prayer that just simply says, Father... I receive your son, Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And I thank you that you provided that in Jesus through his cross. He took my sin, died in my place. I believe this. And he was resurrected. And now his life can be in me by the Holy Spirit. I receive you, Jesus my Savior I receive, my King, my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.